Well, good morning. Fantastic to be with you. I have to say, when uh, Dan stood up here and said, it's going to be brilliant, <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit of pressure. No pressure or anything. It's going to be brilliant. We're going to trust the Lord for him to come and speak to you. I prefer to be on that ground this morning, if that's okay. Okay, well, it's good, good to be with you. And uh, I, um, I'd like to speak to you this morning on... Um, a message entitled, Taking New Ground. I was going to call it Taking Ground, because that's the network that I lead, but I thought it would be good to include Dave Holden, who leads New Ground. <laughs> so we're going to talk this morning about taking new ground. Um, one of the questions that we often face is the question, do we camp and settle with what is, the ground we have, or do we continually look to decamp and actively pursue more? In other words, take new ground. And that's the question I believe, as Christians, we have to ask regularly at every level. We have to ask that question personally in terms of our own personal walk with the Lord and our holiness and our love for God and our service of God. We have to ask that question about our marriages. You know, are we just going to be content with them as we are, they are, or are we going to believe God for something deeper and richer? We have to ask that that question about our families. And we have to ask that question whether we're going to camp and settle with what is or whether we're going to decamp and look to take more ground. We need to ask that question as a church, regularly, and in our small groups as well. And we need to ask that question for our neighbourhoods, for our workplaces, for our university, wherever God has strategically placed us as his sons and daughters, sons and daughters of light, then we need to be asking that question, are we going to settle for what is or are we going to believe God to take more ground for him? I don't really think it's possible to read the Great Commission in Matthew 28 or the parables of the kingdom, which are all about growth and fruitfulness and advancement and extension, or understand the desire of God from 1 Timothy 2, 4, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth and come to any other conclusion than the conclusion that we are called to continually look to take new ground for him. And of course, if there's a book that's been given to us that entirely devotes itself to encouraging us to that end, it is, of course, the book of Joshua. And if within that book there's a character who exemplifies the attitude of those God uses to achieve that taking of new ground, then I want to suggest to you it's the character of Caleb. And we're going to read from Joshua 14, verses 6 to 14. And uh, actually, I was at a great prayer. You you have a great prayer meeting on Thursday morning, by the way. I was, no, actually, it isn't Thursday morning. It was Friday morning. You have a great prayer meeting. I went to that prayer meeting Great time of faith and prayer and a great breakfast afterwards as well, by the way. Uh, But this was a passage that Guy, where are you, Guy? 
that Guy read to us, at, and I thought I'd pick it up this morning. So Joshua 14, verses 6 to 14. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought, back, brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron, I love this. I love this verse, following on from the rest. God's promised it, God's promised it. And then verse 14, so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. It's done. God spoke it. So it was his. There was a little bit more battle went on than that. But because he followed the Lord the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. If there's one word that describes what oozes from Caleb during these verses, I want to suggest to you it would be the word confidence. Indomitable confidence. Confidence that wasn't easily dented. It wasn't dented by disappointment. I mean, 45 years he'd had to wander in the wilderness, you know, not taking any of that land because of the fear of others. But he hadn't let that disappointment um, weary his enthusiasm and confidence. He didn't let the size of the task um, dent his confidence either. I mean, here were the Anakites in large fortified cities and of course if you remember the Anakites they were the ones that uh, uh, made, made the Israelites feel like grasshoppers they were so tall he wasn't dented his confidence wasn't dented by disappointment it wasn't dented by the size of the task and it wasn't even dented by his own limitations 85 years of age all that vigor and enthusiasm I'm 60 years of age and you know if I get into an arm wrestle with my son, who's 30 years of age, I'm recovering for three weeks afterwards. I want to suggest this to you this morning, that the key to taking new ground is confidence. Of course, 
If we are talking about confidence in God, which is the source of Caleb's confidence in this scripture, we can simply talk about Caleb having indomitable faith. There's a sense in which the two words here, confidence and faith, can be used interchangeably if the source of that confidence is in God, in Christ. And so for the purpose of this morning's message, I primarily want to use the word confidence to you, but you can use it, you can replace it with the word faith wherever you want to because it's one and the same thing. So I would say this passage of scripture in Joshua 14 really totally lines up with my experience. I've been a Christian for 40 years and and this scripture completely and the issue of confidence completely lines up with my experience. That experience is essentially that God's people see breakthroughs and take new ground when they are confident in God, like Caleb was. More specifically, this morning, I want to talk about confidence in five things. I want to talk about uh, confidence in God's promises, confidence in God's word, confidence in prayer, Confidence in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and confidence in the power of the gospel to do its work. And what I want to do really with the rest of the morning is simply, I just want to share with you four stories from my own journey, which demonstrate the power of God's promises, the power of God's word, the power of prayer, the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of of the gospel. And uh, my prayer for you is simply this, that, that God would raise your confidence and faith levels this morning. He would raise your confidence and faith levels to a place where if you're camped and settling with what is, I want to pray he will raise your confidence and faith levels in the name of Jesus this morning by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. I want to pray he would Raise your levels of confidence that you'll say, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't staying camped here. There's more ground to take. And you'll have the faith and confidence to decamp and go take more ground with God and for God. So four stories. These four stories are my four stories, our four stories as a church. You know, they're unique for us. I think you need to draw out principles and encouragement from them, but not, not put them as they are on yourself. Does that make sense? I think, that, I think that's very important. And I won't say this is about promises, this is about the Holy Spirit, this is prayer. It's all mixed in there. And I, if, if you, you know, I trust you'll be able to pull out what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about this morning. So the first story really is, is about salvation in my family. Uh, Linda and myself are first-generation Christians, right? Linda was saved through Dave Holden's mother, who was a teacher. She was in the school where Dave's mum was a teacher. She got saved through Dave's mum. And that was in 1978. I got saved in 19... 
80, but we're both first-generation Christians. And when, when we got saved, I mean, I, I, I love the uh, prophetic this morning about the overwhelming nature of what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And I love that little story about the flowers and the cake because God just overwhelms in, every, in the big things and the small things. And that's what I love so much about the generous nature and heart of God. Um, but we're first-generation Christians. And when we got saved, we thought, well, this love of God is not going to be contained by our lives, is it? I mean, it's going to overflow. So we felt God say, it's going to overflow. From here on, first-generation Christians, every generation now is going to serve the Lord. And, and praise God... We have three children, they're all married, we've got five grandkids, they're all serving the Lord in worship and leadership. You know, we're really thrilled about that. But that was a promise of God, God said that. But the love of God doesn't just flow down the generations, we believed it would flow along the generations to our brothers and our sisters and also back there through the, the generations in terms of our, our, our parents and... Um, and that's what we believed for. It was a promise of God, and we prayed for it. And, and to that, my, neither of my mum and dad were not Christians, and my father was as anti-Christian as you can get, right? I mean, when I told my dad, oh, dad, I've become a Christian, he effed and blinded at me. That was his response, you know what I mean? I mean, it was just profanity. That, that came from him. He was so angry. He brought up three boys. You know, you need to be tough. Why are you going to church? Why are you needing a crutch to lean on? So very angry. He was angry at me for becoming a Christian most of my life, which was painful. You know, especially when you love him enough that you want him to be open to it. But he, he was angry and just aggressive with it every time God came up. And... Um, uh, and, and he was most angry. His anger increased even more because I was because I trained to be a medical doctor and I was in medicine as a, uh, for a number of years. When I gave medicine up to become a church leader, and he come from a very deprived working class background, very hard for him seeing his son reach such dizzy heights, as he, you know, to throw it all away for some nonsense. So that was my dad. It was a very painful relationship for me, his response to my, my faith. Uh, in 2019, my dad got ill. I was very ill and was, was dying, really, over a couple of weeks' period in hospital. I, I, I prayed for my dad probably five out of seven days for 39 years on the back of that promise about the extravagance and the power of God's love flowing back as well as down and along. So in the last two weeks, I mean, I, obviously I tried to speak to him about the Lord, but you know what? Even when he was really ill, he was just so aggressive to me. You know, he could hardly speak any words, and I started to say, you know, Dad, might you want me to pray? Don't you start with that stuff on me. So it was not in a very easy situation. In the last couple of days just before he died, I'd spent the whole night with him at hospital. Linda stayed with him during the day. I had to go and preach at a celebration meeting of all our churches. Right? I, I was so discouraged and I was so... Um, 
I was, I was so low, facing the prospect my dad might go to hell, you know, and then, and then asking the question, would I still believe in hell if my dad didn't get saved? There were so many things in my head. And I was, the last place I wanted to go was go and preach at a celebration meeting with a 1,000 people there, and I just didn't want to do that, you know. I just want to go and hide. And uh, on oh, the message I had, which made it even harder, was a message from 2 Kings 13 about Elisha giving uh, Jehoaz, I think it was, three ar- the arrows of victory and him striking them on the ground and he didn't strike them with enough persistence. And so, um, you know, uh, Elisha was angry with him. And so my message was, God's put an arrow of victory in our hand for breakthrough. Let keep praying. And as I'm driving there, I'm thinking, I've banged arrows on the floor for 39 years. You know, and I'm not going to see, I'm not going to see breakthrough. And so you can imagine, you know, how I felt driving. I had had very little faith for my dad over the last few weeks. I could hardly even pray for him. I had such little faith. But I had had 39 years of standing on the promises of God. And I thought, well, I I trusted that to God, if you understand what I'm saying. I'm driving a church to the lowest I've ever been. I never had any faith over those last weeks for my dad to be saved. And in the middle of driving, I was going through a place called Heartburn. And the Holy Spirit filled the car. Absolutely filled the car. And I... And... I suddenly found myself speaking in tongues. And not only was I speaking in tongues, I was celebrating my dad being saved. I mean, I don't, where did this come from? I'm just saying, thank you, you saved him. Thank you. Yes, Lord, you've done it. You've done it. I mean, it was like, it was a supernatural encounter because I want to tell you, there was not a shred of emotion in me where that could have come from. And it just came upon me. Holy Spirit came upon me. I'm, I'm celebrating my father's salvation and the phone rings. It's my daughter who was with my dad in hospital. Guess what, dad? Guess what? I knew. I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I said, I don't know. She said, Granddad just turned around to me and Mum and said, would we pray with him to receive Christ into his life? And he prayed with us and he, amen. She said, it was an amazing encounter with God. And my dad was saved like the thief on the cross two days before he went to heaven. When God promises something, when we're going forward and going out there and looking to take more ground on the basis of the generous, extravagant nature of God's love. We can trust the Holy Spirit. We can trust God's word. We can trust God's promises. We can trust that banging those arrows on the floor. You know the song we sung that morning at the celebration? I'll never forget it. It was that song, um, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. And I, 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 I you, how excited do you think I went to preach at that celebration? <laughs> I mean, we have a, I was buzzing. 
I was so excited. I had so much faith to preach. I preached a cracking message, and I remember, the, uh, <laughs> if I say so myself, <laughs> I preached this message, and uh, we sang Waymaker, Miracle Worker. And this line, even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop. And all that time, God had been working everything together towards this point. I share that story that you might have confidence in the things that God has promised you and you might have confidence in the extravagance of his love and in prayer and in the power of the Holy Spirit to take the hardest of hearts and crack those hearts open. I don't know how many of you have got unbelieving sons, daughters, mums, dads, brothers, sisters. Hey, we go- Oh, and my mum got saved six weeks later. <laughs> and Linda's mother got saved. And so we've, we, we've got all that, and we've got behind. We're just working on this now. Brothers and sisters that need to be saved. My second story I want to speak to you about is really t- a story about a, a, a journey for us as a church. 2018, the summer of 2018, was a very frustrating summer for me. I was very conflicted. And it was, the reason was very simple. Somehow I, t- I took the summer to step back and look at all that, all that was happening, all that was going on. And um, I, I came to the conclusion that what was going on was really good. We had a good church, right? In some areas, I would say it was very good. It was, it was good. It was solid. There were good things happening all over the place. But here was my frustration that summer. We weren't in the realm of great. We were in the realm of good. Even very good. But we weren't in the realm of great. And that didn't, that, the problem with the conflict was this. We had great promises over us as a church. We have a great God. We have a great passion to see him glorified in a great way. And somehow I just stepped back. Now, hear me right. I didn't despise anything. I was grateful to God, plenty to celebrate and thank God for. But I looked back and I said, I said, this is good. But it's not the great things I believe God's capable of and that he's promised. And I, I had to, I remember wrestling with this decision. I remember asking the question, shall I just settle for good and very good? Shall I settle for that? Because the problem is, if you keep believing for more and not seeing it, it, you know, disappointment can erode. So I thought, why not? This is good. This this is very good. Settle with it. Save yourself. You're 60, for goodness sake. You know, have a nice five or seven years, you know, and take it a bit easy and settle with the good and the great. So, look, I'm sorry. I, I, I said I will. I'm going to settle with the good, good rather than go for the great. You probably were expecting something different, weren't you? <laughs> but I'm ashamed to say, I thought, I, I can't keep believing for this great stuff. I'll believe for the good. Then in October 2018, a significant prophetic word was brought to us that pierced my heart. 
It said this. It said, you're under the curse of limited thinking. You're under the curse of limited thinking. You have got limits on what you believe God can do. And you've settled with something less. Well, you know what? I, was, I, I, I started really repenting. I thought, that's me. You know, it was spoken to the eldership team. And I'm looking around the room thinking, is it anyone else? And I'm just thinking, it's me. I've led this thing. I've led this thing and I've imparted, I've imparted a curse of limited thinking to all my leaders. And that's where we are as a church. And... Um, uh, we, we, and I, I realised, you know, we had allowed our confidence to be eroded, our confidence in God's promises, God's word in prayer, Holy Spirit and, and the gospel. Not eroded right down there, but, but the edge taken off, the top 10% of it was sort of eroded. And so we went through a pro- we took that word seriously. We went through a process between October 2018 and May 2019. We, we, we repented. We repented as a leadership team. I repented. I said to God, God, I can't change this. I can't just go, oh, here's a switch. Oh, now, now, now I've got faith for the great. I couldn't do that. I said, I'm sorry, Lord, that I've limited you. I'm sorry. I repent of that. Uh, it's so shameful when you're so great and you've done such great things in life. I, you know, I repented. But I just cried out to God. I said, you, you've got to... You, You've got to change this in me. You've got to change it in my team. You've got to change it in the church. And we just went through a time of repentance. And we preached this series starting on the January through to May. And we preached to ourselves. It was finding faith in a limitless God. And we preached that series. And as we preached that series, right, things changed in our hearts. You know, nothing changed but our hearts changed and suddenly our faith levels went up and our expectation went up and our confidence in all those things I've spoken about suddenly lifted. And then the summer of 2019, everything went to a new level. Everything. I mean, like the finances... The salvations we were seeing, the number of baptisms, you know, we were seeing the six-month period, baptised 50 people, saw lots of people saved. We saw the church growing in about an eight-month period by another 100 people. There was a new level of anointing and favour on many of our projects and ministries and people's expectation of faith lifted and people stopped talking about things being good and they started, I, I listened to it, they started talking about things were great, this is great. God's great. This is great. And it was the first time. I've led that church since 2003. We moved from Manchester where we were for 23 years. It was, a, I, I, it was the first time since 2003 that we had really seen a Holy Spirit-inspired, driven momentum. The great M word. The elusive M word for us softeners. Churchly, we just Holy Spirit driven momentum. It started around a sort of June time and just, just continued through. I mean, there was just no end to what God was doing. Oh, and then we hit COVID, didn't we? <laughs> well, you should have come in my house during COVID. You really would have seen a depressed person. 
COVID hits, you know, all our things have to go online. And I'm sat there with my head in my hands. I'm just saying, I can't believe this, Lord. Surely you can't be, you can't have teased me with so much momentum just to bring the whole thing to to a halt. I, I just couldn't believe it. But, you know, God was faithful, and amazingly, momentum continued for us through COVID. People got saved. We did online alphas. A whole load of things happened. And when we came out of COVID, the momentum was still there. In the last six months, we've seen 95 people saved. I mean, you're talking about a church. You know, maybe we'd see one or two at the most saved a month. But what was the key? What was the key turning point? It was actually when God spoke, spoke to us and said, actually, you lost your confidence. You've lost your confidence in my greatness and in the great things that I promised you, and you've plateaued, you've camped. That was the key thing. So in a sense, I'm just again illustrating the issue of confidence in the word and the promises and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Third story. I'll try and speed up a little bit on this third and fourth story. I just want to encourage you. Don't settle with good. Because I think God's promised you great. I'm talking about there's great promises over your lives individually. There's great promises over you as a church. That great doesn't have to look, um, what I don't want to do is the great has to look the same. It doesn't. But, but you know, if it's a question for you this morning, ask yourself, in a sense, uh, are you somehow in limited thinking? Have you limited God in what you believe he can do? Maybe you can speak to your own spirit. Hey, I'm going to find faith in a limitless God. The, the third thing was... We have a fairly big centre, lots of buildings, big site. And in, for many years, we use it as a conferencing centre. And, um, and actually brought a lot of money in through hiring it out as a conferencing centre. Then in 2008, there was a bit of an economic collapse. Our conferencing centre business collapsed really uh, it all went belly up we lost lots of money uh, I had to make a, I had to make a load of people redundant which was not an easy process and 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 then this great building this great facility for several years remained empty during the week wasn't used very much and there was a lot of disappointment in the church and pain you know and I, I would stand up at the front as you do and I say don't worry God's in this I did believe that. I did believe that. I said, God's in it. God will have something else for us. That's what I preach to people. But, it, you know, for a few years it didn't sort of come. And then God, gave, God spoke a prophetic word, gave someone a vision. Prophet, prophet came in. He said, hey, I see, I see this place. It's a busy train station. People are pulling in on trains and they're going off of platforms and, and, and they're, they're getting on other trains and into new journeys. Is this a place where people are going to come and it's going to journey and it's a train station? Well, we thought, there's a train station a mile down the road. I can't really see that we need to build another one here. I mean, I'm willing to align, Lord, if that's really what you're saying. 
And, and then as we sought God, it wasn't a train station. It was a train-in station. God was calling us to train people. So you're back to confidence in God's word. So you build according to it. You align with it. We, you know, we sought God. This is God. So we, we went through a huge process of becoming a, a recognized educational center with BTEC, uh, Edexcel, Open College Network. I mean, it took us years, about eight years, to jump through lots of hoops with Olsted. So we became a, a recognized educational center that can give qualifications, run courses and train up to Q, from QCF level one to QCF level seven, right, which is equivalent to a sort of post-grad vocational level. So we achieved that. And then we also became a government-recognized training provider, which means we can bid for government contracts. The government puts out contracts. We set ourselves up as a, uh, a business there to become a training provider, which means we can bid for contracts that, uh, you know, the government puts out contracts, says we need 100 people between 18 and 25 that have been unemployed for two years. We need them trained. We need them with qualifications. We need job experience. We need them to be helped to get uh, jobs. And so if you're a training provider, you can bid for those contracts. And we bid for those contracts and we start to... <laughs> we start with those contracts. But you've got to understand, we're a, a sort of rabid evangelistic church. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, anyone that comes through our doors is going to hear... <laughs> Hear the gospel, get prayed with, get a Bible. So anyway, so we've been running this a few years, you know, and uh, so we embarked on that journey. And as we took God's word and promise seriously and aligned with it and built according to it, we experienced a most remarkable grace and favour on us as we lined up with the word of God. We started winning contracts with local and central government. And we also won contracts with the probation service for people to come and serve their community service hours with us and for us to educate them at the same time. I mean, actually, it's fantastic for coming in place now. It's buzzing all the time. There's just loads and loads of people in, in there um, being sort of receiving work experience and training, things like that. But here's, here, here's the thing that happened as we aligned with God's word and we prayed about it and we persevered in God's word and had confidence in what God had said to us. See, our figures have been knocking the figures of other training providers out the ballpark. You understand? They get 30% of people jobs. We get 70% of people that come through our doors jobs. We've been knocking the figures out the ballpark in terms of probation, community service hours as well, insofar as, you know, most people, only 40% of people complete their community service hours without it going back to court because they don't turn up. 40% is the average. When people come to us, 85% of them complete their community service hours with us. So, so all sorts of people, MPs, councillors, businesses, even the Ministry of Justice is visiting us and saying, how can we reproduce? But here's, here's the key. Here's the key. The key is the thing we do different from every other training provider is we really genuinely love and care for people. We're not interested in the money, taking the money for the contract. We love and care for them. If they're sofa serving, we find them, we find them some accommodation. If they're in debt, we help them through our cap work. You know, if they're in addiction, we help them with that. If they need their confidence building, we work on that. And actually, you know, 30% of people that come through us get saved. 
And here's how much the grace and favour of God that was on us. The Ministry of Justice, the probation service, has said to us that, that, that we can run the Alpha course and it contributes to their community service house. <laughs> what about that? So we say to them, would you like, in, in the winter, would you, would you like to stay inside and do an Alpha course and complete some of your hours doing that? Oh, yes, of course we would. But you know, why, why do we have such figures? Because people know we care and they connect with the love of God and the care of God and every one of them gets prayed for, often gets given a Bible, or gets invited onto an Alpha course and so often get through, led through to faith. What's that all about? It's again about God's word, what God spoke. It's about God's promises to us. It's about prayer. So many answered prayers. I would love to. There are places full of stories of these unsaved people getting prayed for and God just wonderfully answering prayers. And it's also testimony to an incredibly powerful gospel that comes not just in the form of words, but comes in the form of practical love and care shown to the poor and the disadvantaged. The final story, which will be just a couple of minutes, is about the gospel. So a few years back, God spoke to me and, and rebuked me for something I was doing with the gospel. And it was this. God said to me, you are, you are judging the soil before you sow the, the seed of the gospel. Right? We work in a particularly poor poor deprived area, Middlesbrough, Stockton, all around there. I mean, it's pockets of affluence, but mainly poor and disadvantaged. And, and, and I just saw so often what I was doing was saying, oh, if we sow the gospel there, oh, they won't be back next week. Oh, I can never see them changing their lifestyle, coming off that, that heroin, or their lives are so chaotic, such a mess. You know, they're just not in a place so I didn't. Share, so often I prejudged the soil before sowing the seed. God, re, God rebuked me for that. And actually, I think I'd set some of that culture in, in the church as well and amongst our leaders. Well, you know, when God said that, I just said, right, not doing that again. Just, I'm going to not, we are not going to judge the soil. We are just going to sow the gospel. We're just going to say... You know, if someone's in need of something, we're going to ask them, do you want to, you know, Jesus can do this. This is who he is. You, you want him to be Lord of your life? You want to invite him in? That's what we say. Simple as that. You know, and then we, we go through our four questions about what, whether you believe, whether you admit your sin, whether you'll turn from your, your, your sin and uh, receive Jesus, put him in the driving seat of your car. And then, uh, and then we talk to them about receiving forgiveness of sins and uh, receiving the Holy Spirit and receiving adoption into the family of God. And we sow the seed. Just sow it. Everywhere. Sow, 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 sow. Every opportunity. Everyone that says, yes, we'd like to do that, we'll do that. I tell you, the gospel has power in itself. Now, of course, the parable of the sower then kicks in after you've sown the seed, doesn't it? So some of those people aren't back next week. But the problem is we were making that judgment and it was stop, stopping us so the gospel clearly and confidently and unapologetically. And so as we did that, my goodness, uh, you know, there are so many trophies of God's grace 
So many people I look at now, I thought, you, wouldn't, you, you won't even be next week. Well, they're here two years later. <laughs> you know, I think of uh, Stephen and Vanessa Sewell. Absolute chaos, heroin addicts, everything. We took them through that prayer. The gospel did an amazing thing. Now, you know, three years later, they lead an Eden project for us in one of the poorest parts of Stockton. And they're seeing all sorts of people's lives changed. One of our guys had led one person to the Lord in eight years of being a Christian. In the last two years, he's led 71 people to the Lord, right? Because confidence in the gospel and not prejudging the soil. If you put the seed in, see what it does. Then you can pray that the birds of the air don't steal it, etc., etc. So, I've finished. I'm so sorry. I've probably gone on too too long, but I I just want to pray for you right now. I I really want to pray for you in the name of Jesus. I really want to pray that this morning that these stories wouldn't uh, bring a sense of, oh, that could never happen here or we couldn't do that or, you know, I, I just want to pray, Father, this is about the power of your promises This is about the power of your word when we hear it and receive it and respond to it, whether it's to build a training station or whether it's to come out from under the curse of limited thinking. Holy Spirit, I want to pray this morning in a fresh and new way you would speak to every individual here in Jesus' name. Lord, you would give them fresh vision that you are a great God who can do great things. And I pray this morning that none of us would settle for less than what you've promised and for less than what you supernaturally and powerfully and extravagantly want to do and work in all of our lives. I want to pray your blessing on every individual here and for you to speak to people, encourage people, and a blessing encourage this church. Thank you, this is a good church. Thank you, this is, you know, many great things in this church, but where you've got more for this church, I pray that they will, you know, forget what's behind and take hold of it in a fresh and a new way, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.